Thank you. So uh, I wanted to review last week's lesson because I had a lot of comments afterwards, and the, the scripture we used and the teaching was great. is a basically an overview of prayer. So uh, let's just go through it briefly to summarize um, this teaching on prayer. Of course, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much, right? And we reviewed what is prayer? It's personal communication with God, and that's the way we ought to look at it. Like you are talking to your best, closest, confidant friend. That is the way, one way you should look at prayer when you approach God. Um, and we also want to be sure that we pray effectively. Pray in a way that God can use our prayers and can bless us, bless other people, and change the world, really, because that's the promise he gives us. If you pray fervently and humbly and honestly, he hears your prayers and he answers all of them. We talked about, we asked this question, why should we pray? Why does God want us to pray? When you consider, on the other hand, of course, he's sovereign, and he already works everything out according to his will. So why would he want us to pray? And one answer is because, first of all, he just told us to pray. When you pray, do this. So we're commanded to pray. But also, Scripture teaches that he, even though he's already ordained everything to happen according to his will, at the same time, he uses your prayers to accomplish those goals. And ultimately, it's going to be a mystery how that works out. But nevertheless, it does. So we need to be motivated to know that your prayers can change things. Right? Amen? Right? That, that's, our prayers can actually change things. And I quoted R.C. Sproul last week, and I want to read it again because it's great. It says, The Scripture teaches both the sovereign foreordination of God and the efficacy of prayer. The two are not inconsistent with one another, one another, for God ordains the means as well as the ends for his divine purposes. Prayer is a means God uses to bring his sovereign will to pass. So it's a, a wonderful truth that we have to just sink our teeth into and our mind into. He uses prayer to bring about his sovereign will. We talked last week about who should we pray to and went through quite a few different texts and concluded that the example in the New Testament is mainly we should pray to the Father. Mainly that's the sense of that's who Jesus prayed to. Almost all the prayers you read in the uh, New Testament are Jesus praying to the Father. He says when you, he gives us the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. So generally we should be praying to the Father. But... It wouldn't be wrong to pray to Jesus because we do have some examples of that in the New Testament or even technically wrong to pray to the Holy Spirit because we know in the end those three are intertwined together in the concept of the Trinity, the three are one. So you can pray to all three of those, but really the, the biblical model mainly is to pray to, to God our Father. we spent some time talking about this phrase, praying in Jesus' name. And when I said my prayer this morning, I, I concluded in Jesus' name. And for those who weren't here, I think most of you were. It's a point I, I don't want to dwell on too much, but, um, or put too like, fine a point on it. But I do want to just remind us, it's not a charm to say at the end of a prayer, in Jesus' name. It has no special effect. We say it a lot, and not, my opinion is, 
I say it too much because I, I, it's, it's almost like it's just a, a phrase that is tagged on without really your mind and your heart understanding the gravity of what that really means. So I just caution on using that phrase. I'm going to try myself to stop it so much just because I think it, it's right to do that or to not use it as frequently. But nevertheless, the phrase praying in Jesus' name, it is a biblical phrase. John says it. John quotes Jesus, whatever you ask in my name that I will do, ask me anything in my name and I will do it. Um, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So, um, and then Peter too, I don't possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus, the Nazarene walk. So, there is biblical precedent to that phrase, but really what the phrase means is um, we speak, well, a couple of things. One is uh, we speak with Jesus' authority behind it. So I speak for, with his authority that I can approach God and pray. So it's in Jesus' name we approach God. And if you think of that concept of authority, Jesus gives us the authority to approach God with what we need with our prayers. It's a wonderful truth because it really reminds us it's Jesus really who is approaching God, right? If we approach in Jesus' name, we have his authority and uh, Jesus behind us. He's authorized us to do that. And then the other element of that phrase is it implies if we pray in Jesus' name, we're praying like his reputation. Jesus has a good reputation. He, he is... God. He's the perfect man on earth. So uh, praying in someone's name refers to um, his good name and his representation. His name represents his character. So that's how we approach God in Jesus' name. Our prayers ought to be consistent with what Jesus would pray for, consistent with his character as we approach God. And so that tempers us to pray for frivolous things, right? So if you, if you think of that, I'm praying with Jesus' authority. I'm praying like Jesus would pray according to his, the character that I know about Jesus. It should temper any kind of frivolous prayer that we might have. Jim? Yes? <clears throat> you know, like from a military standpoint, you know, the only person that, from a certain command that can ask for anything outside that command is the commander. He sometimes delegates to individuals below him the authority to sign things in his name. Yeah. So when you sign in, in the name of the commander, you're saying, for the commander, you put your name, you send it out. It's got to be something that the commander would approve of, and it's got to be something in the best interest of the commander. It's not for, it's not for personal use or personal gain or whatever. So... What we, you know, we put out, you know, when we pray for something, we pray for something to build the kingdom of our king, the Lord Jesus. So uh -huh. that's what we're doing when we pray in his name. It's not something you uh -huh. just toss around. Right. Or, you know, in like in medicine, you probably have physician's assistants that work for you, but they work under your license to practice medicine. Uh -huh. So they write a prescription. It's really with, you know, Tim's right. authority. Yeah, I think it's a great analogy, a great way to remember that in his name, what that really means. It's with his authority. You're, you're his ambassador, right? That's another way you could look at it. Thank you. Yes.
Um, okay, so I want to review some of these points also that we talked about, important, important considerations in our prayer. And you remember the genesis of all this was the scene where the, uh, the disciples could not cast out this demon. And Jesus told them, it's because this demon can only be cast out by prayer. That was the genesis of all this. And really what, there's this phrase, the slapdash prayer, which one of the commentators used. He said that the, apostles, the disciples probably had just a little slapdash prayer. It's like a little, little prayer maybe, cast out the demon. But the implication was prayer should be a lot more serious, a lot more fervent. And so I want to review for us some of the um, important considerations for us when we pray. And then, by the way, I want to open it up and ask any of you this week if, anyway, if you've been challenged by this and if you have noticed anything, if you've tried to pray according to some of these biblical, scriptural guidelines. Because I have, and I have a few things to say about it. I was challenged a lot. So first, we pray according to God's will. In order to know his will, we have to know the word, because that's where his will is. So if, if we are challenged, we don't know how to pray or what is the Lord's will in the situation, we need to read the Bible more and learn more about what Jesus wants from us. We have to know uh, Scripture. And if that's a challenge for you, my side note, memorize it. Memorizing one verse a week sounds easy. It is easy. If you do one verse a week, you memorize 50 verses in a year. So if, if you've had a hard time ever memorizing Scripture or have never had that discipline, I would add it to your everyday uh, time with the Lord. Memorize Scripture and use that as a part of your prayer time too. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that should encourage us to memorize it. That's how his word abides in us as we continually think on it, ruminate, chew on it, memorize it. Um, Another point, sometimes if you don't know God's will, what happens when you don't know God's will for you or for a certain situation? You just don't know. You just keep praying. You just keep praying about it. And eventually God will show it to us. You just do your best. Number three, wait on the Lord for an answer. Sometimes we pray and we just don't wait for him to answer it and we get impatient. So be patient when you're praying to the Lord. And we talked about how Jesus was patient. He prayed over and over again, take this cup from me three times. If, if it's your will, take this cup. And it wasn't. So he waited on the Lord for an answer and he was persistent in his prayer. And by the way, Jesus prayed the same thing several different times. So you can keep praying to God for the same thing over and over and over again. In fact, there's the parable we read in Luke chapter 18 about the widow remember she goes to the unrighteous judge and is persistent in her prayer to be relieved from a, um, a lawsuit and the judge was unrighteous unrighteous judge and he through her persistence got frustrated and he gave her what she was asking for and, and then Jesus says how much more will your father in heaven give you what you ask for because he's of course infinitely righteous that's Luke 18 that's a really great parable um Pray with faith. James says must ask in faith without doubting. So our posture when we go to God ought to be one of faith, knowing I am his child. Jesus is with me on this. I have authority. I, he, the Lord is going to bless me, and he's going to answer my prayer. So you, we have to go with faith. That's right. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. And I know you all probably had this experience where you prayed for something. You didn't get what you prayed, started praying for a week or two or a month earlier. But when you look back on it, like, he answered that prayer. He changed my mind. He changed my insight. He caused me to repent of sin. I realized that was a sinful prayer. That was a selfish prayer. So he answers it ultimately in a way that you may not have thought was the right answer early on. But that's the sense of his promise to, come, to answer all of our prayers. Thank you. Yeah, good point to make. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. That's how we become more like him. It's an intimate time. And if you, again, you think of a, a close friend that you're that you're communicating with, uh, you two can come to an agreement on something, or you can help each other. It's this relationship interaction with a person, and you you'll be changed. Uh, we're to be obedient when we go to the Lord. We shouldn't have any kind of sin. We need to repent of sin when you're praying. First um, Peter says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So if you're not obedient to the Lord and you're in a willful sin of any kind, you shouldn't expect, based on this verse, that the Lord is going to bless that prayer. Unless he blesses it by what we're talking about, changing your heart and changing your mind. Would it have a spirit of forgiveness for all people? If you're holding a grudge and you haven't forgiven someone, you need to forgive them before you approach the Lord in prayer. You're supposed to pray with humility. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he'll exalt you. Uh, Pray continually. We talked about this. Sometimes you'll pray for the same thing over and over and over again, but you're to continue doing that. Paul prayed three times to remove this thorn in his flesh, and ultimately it wasn't removed. So there's an example of a prayer that wasn't answered the way he wanted, but the Lord blessed him. Uh, when you're weak, I'm strong. When you're weak, you're strong. And he, so he answered it in a much more profound way than Paul may have intended. Pray constantly, pray without ceasing. And the example for that mainly is Jesus. I mean, we've seen it in Mark. I mean, almost every time you, you flip a page, Jesus is off alone praying with the Lord. Secretly, quietly, seriously, even when he was very tired, he was off praying with the Lord. It was a very, very high priority to him. Jesus in the garden, before he's going to the cross, and as, as we'll see here in Mark, the, more he, the closer he gets to the cross, the more he's praying. Of course. Pray earnestly, just like Jesus did. Hebrews says, in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplication with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard, to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. Uh, And the footnote to this teaching was, don't fake an emotion. We talked about this, and uh, just beware of that. Don't get yourself emotional, think that somehow there's an emotion that you're bringing to the Lord, and he's impressed by that. There's genuine emotion, of course, but uh, don't fake an emotion or some kind of emotional intensity. And it's obvious when we see people do it, right? You can tell that that's, that's not right, so it's obvious too to the Lord. So don't try to fake out God with, with an emotional appeal that's beyond what your heart felt 
what you're feeling in your heart. Pray privately. We've already said that. And um, we talked at the end about fasting and pointed out that that is also not a charm, but yet it does, first of all, we are to fast because it says so in the Bible. But the point is it reveals a person who is truly serious about this prayer or about this time in their life, about something that they want to bring to the Lord. And we, um, any of you who have done it know that it, it is a blessing. It is hard. It does make your mind more acute and more tuned in to the Lord. And whenever you feel that hunger pang, you're prompted to pray for this situation. So fasting is a good discipline also. And it's not something we should do so people see us, right? The Pharisees did that, and they walked around looking like they were suffering. So if we do it, no one should know about it. And if you ever want a quick review of how to pray, just read the Lord's Prayer. There's so many elements in that that instruct us on how to pray. So, summary. Prayer is effective. It can change the way God acts. And you have examples of that with Moses going to the Lord. And it seems like he changed God's mind when he was going to judge the Israelites. And God says, okay, because of this, I'll relent. So, there's an example how, uh, from our point of view, this side of heaven... You can change how God's acts. On the other hand, you can't change what, how, what God does because he's sovereign. But nevertheless, the point is we're to pray effectively, faithfully, fervently, and God will answer it. And the last point, prayer is effective because Jesus is our mediator. There's one God, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Okay, so about prayer. Anybody have any experience this week? Have you tried to pray with some of these uh, features fervently, continually, in a quiet, disciplined way? Have you ever had an experience? Or have you been challenged by the teaching? Anybody have any testimony from this week? That I tried. Well, I prayed anyway, but you know, I tried to be more uh, fervent with that. It's amazing how. Mm-hmm. kind of go the direction so I found when that starts to happen I, I read something years ago in a, in a navigator's uh, discipleship book of how to properly pray and of course it starts with word, reading the word of God and, and, uh, and then first praying back that scripture to God as, as, as it is speaking to you and then your grocery list of needs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I think so often we, you know, we read the word, we close it, and and we go with our list, you know, and mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, you're teaching us on prayer right now, and, and you've been talking for ten minutes or so on that, and that's like me reading the word. When I read the word, you know, God's speaking to me, and then I close it, and if I just start talking about something else right in the middle of God talking, that's rude. <coughs> we would never do that. Mm-hmm somebody else so we communicate with God by hearing from him first and we talk back what he talked to us about uh-huh. and then we have our desires needs list and uh-huh. that helps me keep from wasting well I'm telling you when I just sit down and if I don't have that discipline it's my mind it'll be a minute and a half and I'm ready to go 
Uh-huh. You know, and I hadn't accomplished anything. You know. Yep. I'm often reminded of when you talk about the <coughs> George Mueller. Uh-huh. He was really known. If you've never read his biography, it's really good. But he was known as a man of prayer in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He ran orphanages in England, had a thousand kids, and uh, he got a call one morning from the director, and, and it was time for breakfast, and there was no food. And the director was saying, what do I do with these thousand kids? He said, send them down the dining hall. I'm, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. And he was over at his office, and he prayed. And uh, the town bakery truck broke down in the front of the orphanage, and they came in and said, you know, you, can you guys use this food? It's going to spoil. <laughs> and the kids, so God answered that prayer just like that. You know? and yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and in that time span, some of them were saved earlier, but I can't remember if it was one or two of them. You know, it was 45, 50, it was 50 years before the last one of them was finally mm-hmm. saved, but he persisted. He never quit. Yep. It's a great read. George Mueller. Yeah. Thanks. Anybody else have any insights this week? Have you tried to apply some of these principles to your own prayer life? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I guess there is a sense where we're always in prayer, right? And um, throughout the day, something will come to your mind. You'll have a quick prayer. Go ahead. So I wasn't here last week, but Ellen picked me up from the airport uh, Sunday afternoon mm-hmm. and uh, gave me uh, encapsulated Sunday school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know when you when you go to prayer, there's two parties. Mm-hmm. One of them's perfect, one of them's imperfect. Mm-hmm. One of them's immutable, and the other one is very mutable. You know, and then so just like C.S. Lewis said, and I quote Tim Davis. Mm-hmm. The, the main thing that prayer changes is us. Mm-hmm. God doesn't need to change. Right. That's why we need to be humble when we go in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Anybody else? I wasn't here either, but I've found through the years that it's important for us to pray by ourselves, uh, like in our closet or something like that, but also to pray with our wives, Mm -hmm. spouse, uh, but also corporate prayer, too. It's very important to come together and pray. Mm -hmm. The enemies are always attacking and distracting and Mm -hmm. trying to keep us from... There's always stuff that comes up that will distract us, but it takes a great deal of discipline to consistently pray. Mm -hmm. Well, my, here's anything else. Anyone else have an experience this week taking these words and trying to apply them to your... I would say that, you know, it was a good reminder and just something I was reflecting on that really you only touched on last week, but, but I think it's important, at least in my life, just about tagging on the, you know, in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer and, and, and really look at it, like, more broadly. Like, there's a lot of phrases and things that we use in prayers where 
we just kind of say it. We don't think through what we're saying. You know, it's not very heartfelt. Yeah. And I, I think, like, when you go to bless the food, it's probably a really good example yes. of that. Yes, yes. You, know, you say these all these repetitious, you know, phrases, and you don't really think through what you're saying. It's just this rehearsed prayer that, that you're supposed to say, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you go before and, you know, bless the food. And something that's been helpful for me to, you know, when I'm just saying a blessing, you know, is not to really see it as a blessing, but this is a this is a prayer of gratitude, and it's a time to, you know, reflect on God's goodness, God's provision in my life, uh-huh. and you can really apply that to anything, you know, I mean, excuse me, you can apply that to any time you, you know, go before God and, and say a prayer like, Lord, why am I coming before you? Why am I praying in the first place? And it, it really, I think, changes how you pray and, and produces a more genuine and meaningful prayer as well. Yep. I think the uh, blessing before a meal is another good example of, we, I mean, know what you're saying completely. It's not wrong. It's great to pause, but it's a slapdash prayer in a way. It really is. And so, um, so challenge to us, and, and I can just tell you a little bit of my experience, because I maybe think about it more because I'm preparing for Sunday and stuff, but uh, I try to really apply some of these, you know, the fervency of prayer, the seriousness of it, and it is hard. It, and I, I bet you your experience is the exact same as mine, where within a few minutes, my mind, I'm racing about Sunday school or something else, and or what's going to happen that day, or the news. Or, and it doesn't take more than just a few minutes for my mind to go elsewhere. So it's a discipline. And uh, if we're not committed to fervently praying, I mean, I think every day. We should have a time every day. That's not hard where you sit down and you pray. If you say, well, I don't have that in my schedule, then my challenge to you and me is it has to be. That should be like a number one priority, prayer and time in the Word with the Lord. And if you're not praying fervently, it must mean that there's nothing that serious going on this week that I need to pray for. I mean, I, you know, I, I'll go to work, I'll come home, I'll eat, I'll go to sleep, everything's okay. So if we're not praying fervently or motivated to pray fervently, it may mean that my life is just a little too superficial, right? A little too Western, maybe, or a little bit too comfortable. So um, another challenge I had was that's probably true. I don't see the need that the Lord sees as much. I don't see lost souls every day walking around, right? So if you saw it that way, you don't see them going to hell, right? Burning, this eternal fire. Do you see that? I don't think about it very much. But if we did think about it more, man fervently, I would want to pray, right? So the challenge is let's try to get our hearts and minds on the eternal things, on seeing the world the way the Lord sees it, fervently pray for needs that are true and real and spiritual, and uh, repent. I'm speaking to myself, but we should all repent if we just have a day that goes by or a weeks that go by where we don't have times of fervent prayer because it means that I'm not serious. Christian enough, right? And I'm speaking to you and to me. So the challenge to us, let's do it. Let's, let's really commit to fervently praying, sharing actually with each other the needs that we have in our own family and friends, fervently praying, continually praying, humbly praying to the Lord for him to change the world, right? Right? Any nods? <laughs> yes, good. Go ahead, Charlie. Mm-hmm. So, so meet up with a lost person or whatever. God always blesses that. Yep. Pray 
pray for all the effort. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Well, I praise God this week because I've been. Yes, I completely. We understand that, right? Sometimes you pray, and it might take ten minutes before you really realize. Okay, now I'm praying. Now my, I've got through these layers of superficiality and distraction, and now I'm in not a trance, but you're just you're communing with God in the way that is. Uh, proper. Anything else before we go ahead? Thank you. Yeah, always had this spirit of prayerfulness. Anything else? And pray for big things. Big things that you think, we've, it's too big for God to do that. I think of world events, current affairs, you know, wars, and all that stuff is troubling to us, right? Pray for it in Jesus' name, and pray the way, as best you can figure out, is the proper way, according to the Bible, to pray for these things. Do it, and, and you'll see how the Lord works to change things and change us and change our attitudes and maybe change what you do throughout the day or how you spend your money, etc. So pray for big things all the time. Yep. Great advice. Right. Yes. Just to be sure you heard it, Wilder's saying, use Paul's example in his letters and look at how he prayed for people and for their increased knowledge and understanding and faithfulness, etc. And then you'll get a great example how you to pray for other people. And then it'd be a nice contrast too, because you compare that to how you might pray for people to, um, you know, get a new car. You know, things that it might be a little more 
worldly and superficial. When you look at the way Paul prayed, it was really laser-focused on their spiritual needs, their eternal life, their salvation, growth of the church. Yeah. He's very driven by needs and, and, and as much as possible material needs in the physical realm and not the spiritual. And if, if you really search the scriptures to find uh, precise direction on how to pray, we have the Lord's Prayer. Um, we have in James 1 where it says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give it liberally. And that is wisdom in light of suffering. Mm-hmm. Asking, Lord, why and how am I to grow to wisdom in this trial? Uh, and then we have the examples of Paul and then Daniel's prayer in chapter 9. Yeah. Um, so, but we typically want to be driven by our prayer list. And it may be for people's ailments and struggles in life. Mm-hmm. But that's really not how we're directed to pray. If I want to pray for someone who's struggling, I want to pray, Lord, give them wisdom. Don't remove this ailment. <coughs> Mm-hmm. And we're really not growing closer to the Lord through our prayer life because we're just blinded by and distracted by the things of the world and not driven by faith. So uh, I agree with Wally. Yeah, it's so rich. I want to keep going with some of this talk, but, but the content of our prayer is right. It may be they're not scriptural. It's not godly to pray for this thing over and over again. So... The way you learn or change the content in Jesus' name, right? To apply that phrase in a real way, in Jesus' name, what would Jesus be praying about in this situation? I, you know, I, I'll use this example. I hesitate to do it. But when we pray for world events, right, or politics, and I'll use this because actually several people have come up to me and asked, how do we pray for that? And I know it's on a lot of our minds. How do you pray for the nation, or the world, right? Well, it's not easy because it's just not easy. But we, we do it in Jesus' name. We have looked to the scripture and recognize that uh, he is sovereign, right? His will will come about. Um, how am I to change through this? I think of Timothy, um, when you think of the world leaders, it's First Timothy 2. And this is a verse I came to that, I guess where I'm going is I, I do worry about the world a lot and death and wars and all these things and we ought to pray for it and I came to this verse um, I'm going to use this as an example of how it sort of changed my thinking on it uh, it's First Timothy chapter 2 first of all then I urge that entreaties and prayers petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men right then verse 2 for kings and all who are in authority and this is a f- phrase that got me. So that, so why do we pray for all men? One reason. So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. <clears throat> so one main reason we pray for men and even kings and those in authority is so that we Christians can live this life that is pleasing to the Lord. That's how I interpret that. Any disagreement there? 
So it helped change me from um, hoping for a certain outcome and a certain <laughs> dynamic of politics, for example, or for whatever. It helped me realize, oh, wait a minute. Uh, he's answered his prayer because he's leading me, hopefully, to a tranquil and quiet life and so I can grow in godliness and dignity. So that's just an example to me of a, how I think we're to apply the word and it helps me to pray more in Jesus' name when I pray for other people and for leaders. Do you understand what I'm saying? So uh, just be sure we apply the word to our prayers and recognize that he will change our thoughts and our prayers and answer all of them. Go ahead, Phil. You know, uh, I think about Paul and Silas in Philippi uh, praying and singing, you know, while they were on the rack being tortured. <laughs> right. They weren't, they weren't naming it and claiming it. They were, uh, they were actually kind of reveling in, in what was going on. And, you know, the reason is uh, when Ananias was sent to give Saul and Paul his, his sight back, suffer for my name's sake. So right. he was he was told, hey, you gotta suffer for the Lord. So when he's on the rack, he knows he's right smack dab in the middle of God's will. Right. You know, like we used to say when I was in the infantry, move out and draw a fire. You uh-huh. find the enemy by getting him to shoot at you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think of um it's early on in Acts when Peter, after he's jailed and they're flogged and it says they counted themselves, um, what's the phrase? Basically, they were rejoicing. They were worthy to suffer. So uh, a superficial prayer for them would have been, you know, I pray that they won't have to struggle or suffer. But the deeper insight is, well, that was for a reason, to show them, and they rejoiced in it, right? I was thinking of Acts 19 when they're in Ephesus. Um, Well, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not, I can't think of what I was going to say. So, any other thoughts on that? We, we're really getting late into our lesson, uh, but I, I've been blessed. I, I really have been burdened personally with my lack of prayer, lack of fervency, and uh, encouraged greatly by the promises in the Bible that if we do pray according to these, this pattern and these things that we're taught in the Bible, we'll be blessed and we'll be changed and um, motivated to do it. Yeah, no, it's fine. I think we have to keep in mind what our duty is and what the government's duty is, too, when we're praying for the government. It's the government's duty, and I think Romans 13 talks about to deal with evil and to punish evil and stuff like that. And our duty is to go out and share the gospel and to disciple people. So we have to keep those in mind when we're praying. And mm-hmm. Pray for the salvation of our leaders as well as mm-hmm. you know, God gives them wisdom and salvation. Yeah, I think so, too. I think we keep in mind the important eternal elements. And uh, I want to be sure that we recognize that throughout the history written in the Bible, evil rulers were used to help the church. Persecution brings about growth. So we need to just keep that in mind, too, and not have our hope on this earth, on this world. It's, our hope is elsewhere.
Yep. I think so. If we did, I don't think we could, could stay away from it. Right. If we were really uh, seeking the Lord and, and His presence in our life. But we're driven by signs and mystical feelings. And yeah. We want to see it as an incantation to kind of get what we want or remove the pain. Um, but I do think it's important that we study how to pray. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the biggest challenge, especially if you get carried away by in the, in the whole politics that we're seeing now. It can really distract the church. Yeah. And sometimes I think the church is, has too much of, a, of an opinion that Charlie's right. We need to su- submit, subject, uh, bless, pray for whoever's going to the Lord has placed in there. Yeah, I brought up the politics thing because it is true. We all have opinions on it, and usually with the politics, they're strong opinions. <laughs> and even in a class like this, we're going to have different opinions on who's righteous and who's good and what's their role and how much do we um, apply that to our lives, how much energy do we put into it. But we should be unified if we really think through praying in Jesus' name about the important things. You know, some politician we don't like, we think that is the opposite of what I would vote for. Well, you could say, well, they might be my enemy. I should pray for that person (laughs) fervently. That person I see is evil and wrong and completely lost. We should be praying for them. Be saved, right? Same with all the world leaders. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Ripe mission field. The the political class, right? Yeah. So, um, and it will encourage us. You won't be as discouraged when you do that. You, if you pray for your enemy, I mean, the anger just flows away. It just disappears. So we should do that more. So thank you for all the input. I think it's, um, let's do it. Let's be people of prayer. I mean, this class, of course, our whole church, but let's be fervent in prayer. And maybe I'll, I will do this. I'll ask over the next few months, you know. Let's hear some testimony. What did you fervently pray for this week that was really bothering you? All of you, I bet you right now, what's bothering you right now the most? Probably all of you, something comes to your head. Something with your family members, some situation, some finances, something <coughs> jump into your head. And now ask yourself, have I fervently prayed for this for two weeks? Have I really gone to the Lord fervently? And if you're honest, you'd probably say, no, I haven't as much as I should. So do it. And maybe we'll hear and we'll all be edified as we start hearing some testimony of how he's answered some of our specific prayers. I just, uh, God just laid on my heart this whole past year. So I've, been, I've been going to some Christian movies. So I get these, they're always saying, well, we're trying to get these Jesus movements going and stuff like that. But what God's really laid on my heart is that we really need a call to repentance. And that really begins with the church. Mm-hmm. If we want to see real change in America, the church needs to get on its knees and repent of where we haven't. Mm-hmm. And that will carry over. But it has to start in the church and then carry on from there. Yep. Change begins with us. I think it so. It begins with us privately in, the, in our prayer closets and then goes corporately to the church and then 
churches coming together. Mm -hmm. Yep, and to not keep bringing up the politics issue, but I thought of it. How many Christians have a terrible testimony when they're talking politics? Yeah. I mean, they seem so, I am the number one. But it's get so uptight and so angry and because you have a certain position, and it's a completely awful witness of the Lord. Terrible. So um, it's just an area, that's a good, good topic for us to discuss because it challenges us a lot. Much, much, much more important to be Christ's ambassador and in all things than to have a strong opinion about who might win the election. And if you read the book to the end, things <laughs> right. don't aren't going to end so well. <laughs> right. So maybe we should be like Paul and Silas and rejoice that we see God's word come to pass. Well, that is a great segue into... Did you have something? Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so the... In Jesus' name, prayer about that would be something, one of them, example would be like, you know, use this as the refining time for the church, right? Make us more holy. Praise God, it's coming. The end is near. There's going to be an explosion. There's going to be witnessing. There's going to be people saved. And so look at it as a positive thing and not something that we dread. So that's going to lead us, we'll get to it next week. My last lesson for... No, right, that's nice. Next week, no Sunday school. The week after, actually, I'm not going to be here. John David is going to teach a lesson. I don't know what that's going to be about. I'm going to be on uh, vacation. So it'll be three weeks when we'll come back to Mark. Um, but what we're going to read in three weeks is Mark 9. And it, the section that we're going to finish up with says, talks about, um, let me find it here. It's Mark 9. Well, we're going to read like 31 through 50. We'll, we'll do that whole section. But uh, one of the most cryptic verses, apparently, as I've read the commentators in the whole New Testament, is Mark 9, 49. So maybe look through that before we come back and we can talk about how you interpret that. And this is after Jesus gives them these, these he's called dire warnings about, you know, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Because he said it's better to do that than what? Than um, have your two feet and to be cast into hell. Having two eyes be cast into hell, right? So it's better to remove this sin from you. And we'll talk about that word hell, this Gehenna, which it's, an, it's the ultimate lake of fire place, right? It's the ultimate destruction for where people go who are not saved. So... The point being, verse 49 says, um, for everyone will be salted with fire. So think about what that means. Because that's a combination of two interesting uh, words, salt and fire. And you don't see those two combined a lot together. You do see it some, and we'll talk about it next week. But one interpretation of that is that um, the Christians are going to be preserved and purified. And so... As things get worse, if things start getting worse, we ought to praise God. He's using it to purify us. And we will be preserved. Don't worry. If you're a Christian, you're going to be preserved in the difficult time. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, this is verse 50, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So I guess we will we'll get to, that'll be the end of our, teaching in three weeks, those two verses. So look them through. Okay. 
Great. Thank you for your contribution. Anything else before we head out? Hope everybody has a great Christmas season and enjoys it, gets rest. Anything else? You mean, how did God answer, God the Father, how did he answer that to Jesus? Yeah, in, in, in our own lives, how do we, uh -huh. you know, how do we hear that and do that, or should we expect it, or I know people that will have long pauses in their prayer, waiting on impressions and things and stuff. Yeah, I think it's a great question. I know, I think I know what you're asking. How, how do you know when it's been answered? And is it an impression in your mind? Is it a feeling in your heart combined with consistency with the scripture? How do you know that ultimately it's been answered? I uh, can't remember who said this. I read it somewhere. But one answer to that is the only way you really know God's sovereign will is when it's come to pass. Right? So that's one hint. <laughs> when, when something passes, you know that was his will. Um, but that's the only sure way I think you can know. And when something happens completely according to his word. So, so we, do we really accept that? that? That's the problem with our prayer life. Right. Things happen every day. I'm not satisfied here. And that was not what I prayed for. Right. But it is God's will. And that's, so it's really just it's, it's faith. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Anxious for nothing. Uh, do not be angry. Do not be fearful. It's just a, a life of faith. Yeah. Yep. And it does get into a little. Uh, I get a little uneasy saying this, but I. It's okay. Well, so if I think back in my life when something I fervently prayed for, big event in life, and. I guess as I look back on it, see how it came to pass. There, there's times when you just, I guess you know it, right? There, there's this, you just know it because it's consistent with what your other believing friends have thought about a certain situation. It's consistent with what you prayed for. Uh, clarity comes over time that this was God's will to work out this situation a certain way. So I don't think you can have a hard, help me out if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's a hard and fast way to say this was God speaking exactly to that prayer until it comes to pass? I'm not sure.
Mm-hmm. Yep, I think so. There, there is. I think there has to be wisdom in it. There's, um, you know, should I buy the red car or the blue car kind of prayer? You know, you just, I don't know. You have to, uh, it's a life of growth and maturity and dependence on him to hear your prayers and answer them. And it should always, another way to know it's, uh, prayers are being answered is, is it engendering in us constantly this heart of you know, dependency on him, uh, constant humility, um, and all, all those godly characteristics should be improving in you. And if that's happening, then we don't have to be haughty about saying, oh, that was or wasn't answered. It, it just We trust him. It's answered. And I don't quite understand it yet. But in time, he'll bless me, and I will have some clarity. If not here on earth, then in the after earth. All right, thank you. You guys have a great week. We'll see you in two weeks, three weeks. <laughs>